0: My name is William Chernoff, and today on the Rhythm Changes podcast, I spoke to David Blake. I can't overstate how much David has meant to Vancouver jazz as a guitarist who has recorded several albums and for booking music at a venue called the Tangent Cafe, a restaurant in Vancouver. It stopped presenting music during the pandemic and it never really got the send-off that it deserved. So we show some love to the Tangent ears and his role in them, but we also go to a whole bunch of different places in this deep conversation. So, David, thanks for coming on. Before we get into Tangent Cafe stuff, we met back in 2013 around the release of your first album And to me, you seemed quite experienced already at that time. But I realized I've never learned about your background before then. So take us back and maybe give a general intro to how you arrived at Vancouver Jazz.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I can say for sure that I was not very experienced then. And I'm not very experienced now um i remember i mean i remember i don't remember how we actually met but i remember the first time we played together and i think i i i I told you sometime when we talked kind of recently about that um just being so impressed with you um and because wait if it was 2013 how old how old were you well, I was 18 years old, hence why I had that perception of you. <laughs> right. Hi. Uh Interesting, cuz I mean, I I, I was not like a, I'm that much older than you. Um but I uh man, I just remember yeah, you you like learned a bunch of my tunes, which I wasn't expecting, and I was so impressed by that and you played the shit out of them. And you played everything so well. I remember I was like, "Man, this guy sounds like Scott LaFaro. This is crazy." <laughs> Thank you. And then, yeah, it's taken me until
0: now to realize like I didn't know what it was like before that point for you or what your come up was like.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting story, I guess, or interesting enough to for <laughs> you to want to talk about it, I guess. But uh, I. I got into music, I, it's funny, because I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I come from a musical family, but I certainly come from a family who's always been interested in playing music. I mean, I remember um, my parents, when I was kid when I was a kid, they, they were both super into old-time fiddle music, especially my mom, um, and she plays play, she then and still plays piano but she played she she actually went on tour with a fiddle player uh a number of times and would like play these dance contra dance gigs and stuff like that and um so what am i talking about i guess i do come from a musical family my mom did play gigs when i was a kid so <laughs> that's pretty cool um and and so there was a lot of that around and and so i always thought that was cool hearing the music and hearing people play and so when I was a kid I I wanted to learn mandolin and so I I took some mandolin lessons with one of my mom's uh friends Mm. in that in that old time scene and I don't know I you know it was sort of I was probably like eight or something and I didn't really want to practice or anything I just thought It'd be cool to have a mandolin and there was a big disconnect between actually learning to play it so that kind of died pretty quickly um anyways maybe i went a little bit too far back to talk about
0: this <laughs> it's all good it's funny that you have the fiddle music connection too that's a fun discovery because right after that time when we first met i just launched into fiddle music and it was like my life oh, like cool. my career for like five years not in a very traditional sense but in a more contemporary sense where we were crossing it over with other styles and it was like an educational group so yeah that that became a big deal for me too
1: that's awesome that's super cool did you do any dances like contra dance gigs or anything like that
0: That's the thing that I can't really claim is that I don't really have the feel for what that's really like. And I've heard from other people about what it's really like to play trad music at a dance and to really light it up that way. But what we did do was, when I worked with North Shore Celtic Ensemble in North Van, this group, we did an annual fundraising event that we called the Spring Kaylee and we had all our groups perform and we had a caller teaching dances to whichever audience hundreds of people came out
1: that sounds like the real deal
0: yeah i mean it was uh it was starting from scratch every year so it was always fun to see people learning them for the first time or those those who came back to to try them again but yeah it wasn't like we were deeply immersed in the culture but we were trying to do right by it
1: that's super cool yeah did were you checking out the music too like like getting into listening to it and
0: yeah i i took a slow process at that. I had my friend Kieran Lamb, who actually went to CAF as well, who I worked with oh, there the entire time, man. all six years that I worked with them. We were there and we were applying what we knew, but she knew a lot more than me because she grew up on the Sunshine Coast with that culture. And so I right. learned a lot of tunes from her and I got exposed to a lot of the artists and, we played as a duo a little bit, too. And that's kind of how I played guitar for the first time, really, was I started playing little gigs on guitar. And we actually played at the Tangent uh, once on a Wednesday night to bring it all around full circle. Uh, no right way. after we started doing that, we we hopped into the Tangent, and that was one of the first times we got to play together.
1: That's awesome. Was that something that, something I booked?
0: Well, okay, so here's the thing. To, to bring it towards the Tangent, I guess, here, there was this evolution and really... I would love to just do it justice with you in this conversation because it so fucking deserves it. Like It was such a home for me and you and our friends and our community. It was the place where we shared our craft for like six or seven years. And that's a huge, huge deal. It deserves respect. And it didn't really get it because of how it unwinded with COVID. And we'll probably touch on different parts of that story here, but we're definitely wrapping up a really seminal thing in my opinion, but... To bring it back to just Kieran and I's little gig, like it was on a Wednesday night, and that was the last thing to kind of roll out of the tangent. That was in the last two or three years, maybe, that stuff was happening there when you were involved. Sort of. So sort of, it started yeah. with, yeah, you can set the record straight, but I guess it started on the Thursday nights. You brought in the Sunday evenings at some point, and then also the Wednesday nights quite a bit later. And so if you were doing it all, then yeah, you would have uh, booked us for that one. But what? how did that work out?
1: Oh. Yeah. So, um, first of all, I appreciate it. I, I, that the, the recognition, um, I know it was, I, 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 you know, I appreciate that it, it was an important place for a lot, a lot of people and certainly the jazz community. And, um, and I was really lucky to be involved doing that in that way for a lot of reasons, but, um, and it's too bad that it's not happening now. And, um, I don't know what the future is going to be like, but um, I don't like. I told you in an email. I'm probably not going to be here for it, anyways. But um, not that I'll never come back. But uh, um, but the, the 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 story, I guess, is um, you you got it almost almost right, very close. Um, it started. It's well. It used to be a place called Sori Babushka, right? And there might have been an in-between thing, but that was like a long-standing kind of music venue in Vancouver that I admittedly never actually went to. But um, but it was you know I think for probably about as long as I was or I've been part of music in Vancouver, I kind of knew about this sorry babushka place. And then years later, um, my friend and you, you, we I think that first gig we did. Andrew Miller probably played drums, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so Andrew Miller, who's a great drummer who now lives in New York, um, he, he, it's, it's, well, he actually called me one day and I was, I think I was, I was like pretty broke, didn't have a job, wasn't playing very much. And Andrew was like, hey, man, um, my, uh, sister's brother-in-law needs to hire some people to paint chairs for his new restaurant that he's opening. And I was like, man, I'll do anything. And, um, and so I, I got in touch with, uh, this guy, Nate who's going to go over to his new restaurant and help him paint some chairs. And I ended up bailing on it because the day came and I, something else came up and I, was just like, uh, sorry, can't make it. But I remember like that was sort of my first introduction to Nate, who is one of the two owners, him and his wife, Linda, Nate Coley and Linda Jimmy, um, uh, were the owners or are the owners. And, um, and so anyways, that was my first introduction. I never went, but you've, you know, you've sat in those chairs before. Those chairs that I would have painted that are all pastel colors and nice, yeah, they're what, whatever chairs. <laughs> Anyways, I see those chairs and I think about that first time I bailed on Nate. But um, then, at a certain point, Andrew started doing the booking at Tangent. Nate wanted music. His sort of brother-in-law-in-law or whatever um, was in that world. Um, and got Andrew to start doing the booking. And so it started with Andrew booking Sunday nights and Sunday was the original jazz, a tangent. And it was, a, uh, I I think it was, it couldn't have been more than like a year and a half, maybe, maybe not even before they decided they wanted to add the Thursdays. And that was, so Andrew was doing that. And, um, and it was yeah, it was only Sunday afternoons. It was like four to six PM, I think. And um, and it was cool. It was it was a great place to hang out. Um, but it was it was starting, and it was you know the the, the afternoon thing, and like no, I don't. Obviously, you know, I, I things things changed a lot since he was doing it, but um, but it was a great start. And then at a certain point, Nate wanted to add, um, uh, another night of music. And I, you know, when I talk about the owners of this place, I'll, I'll mostly be referring to Nate because he was the one who I worked with the most in terms of what went with regards to the music stuff. Linda, um, was like the mastermind behind all the, the kitchen stuff, um, and Nate was, you know, doing the stuff with me. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure Nate would tell you that Linda ran the place and Nate was just there, you know, but they were both, but yeah, they're, they're both amazing people. But, um, anyways, they wanted to add this Thursday night and Andrew didn't want to take it on. He just had enough with the Sunday. So he invited me to, 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 to do that and, that's how it started. I started, I was booking Thursdays, Andrew was booking Sundays. And that's how it kind of went for probably about a year or two, I want to say, but maybe maybe I, I'd have to talk to Andrew about when he actually left. But yeah, it was probably about maybe a year, a year of both of us, which is weird. And I mean, I'm so grateful for him bringing me on to do that, because that was... um. You know, sometimes people ask me about like how do you how did you make it happen? I mean, people don't really ask me. You're kind of talking to me about it right now. I'm, I sometimes I, I imagine that people might be interested. But no, I, I've had people ask like like starting starting music venues and and it's always a thing in Vancouver, right? Like people um as long as I've been playing music in Vancouver, there've been people complaining about how there aren't enough places to play. And um and I don't know if that's really true it seems to me that there were plenty of places to play um, but but then there was this idea like if if you if you really want something like if you really want to do it you you got to like start start something make something happen and i'd always feel kind of like uh oh i hope nobody finds out that i didn't really make this happen i just kind of stumbled into it i'm not like i'm not trying to claim that i started this thing i just like was at the right place at the right time and started you know got in that way Yeah. And
0: even more than the starting, it is just the maintenance of it. Like that's the real work. And it had a long journey where, you know, you have Pat's as a jazz venue that's had a long run as well. But in our generations, we haven't had very many other spaces that have had that kind of tenure. So that's the real work of it too.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it it was, I think I told you it was, I think I, I started booking the Thursdays seven years ago. And, um, just just last March because it, I remember the first one I booked was Ehor Cucaroza Trio with Millie and Eli. Millie Hong and Eli Davidovichi. <clears throat> I think uh,
0: I went to that one. <laughs> good, yeah,
1: yeah, That's awesome. Um and and for me it was like it was so cool to get to to have Ehor do it. Because um you know he's just like I guess part of it is it just feels like Ehor, if, if if you grew up in Vancouver or went to cap or learned jazz through that world, like you, you came across Ehor, like, you know, he's a, he's a character. And I think the community, um, is very, very glad and lucky to have had him be here for as long as he was and teach so many people. It was, you know, it wasn't that hard to organize, but like there was sort of this, this sense of like, are we trying to do something different? Are these things supposed to be separate? Are we coordinating with each other? There I, there was almost, there were a few cases. I won't name any names, but there were some people who would like ask Andrew for a gig and then ask me for a gig the same week. And then like right before we'd like finalize the details, we we, we always realized that like, oh shit, like so-and-so is playing here on Thursday and Sunday Uh, and like they'd try and sneak it in like do a do a back-to-back gig a tangent okay you don't actually let that happen
0: you don't have to name names but like are these people in our generation or are these older established jazz musicians
1: uh there's a few from every every group that tried to do that kind of thing um so i mean i didn't i remember back then i would get kind of mad about that kind of stuff i got mad and and sort of Self-righteous about these things, and I think I think at least one of the people I kind of chewed out pretty hard for it. And now, in retrospect, it's just sort of funny to me. It's just like kind of I don't know, like good for them, I guess, trying to trying to get some work out of it. But then I think I think one of the, the the coolest things that we did was um was when we started doing jazz festival series there. Because um, the first, the first one was all Andrew, and then it kind of became a mix. Um, so I think it was two years where we, we kind of like co-coordinated, co-ordinated, co-coordinated um, the the Jazz Festival bookings, and that was fun too. And that was a really, that was really cool to get to do that, because um, I think I probably did that for five years five times five jazz but that's probably true and um and that was fun we i mean it was it was like one of the local club series things right so it was all vancouver people for the most part but we'd always have like megan gillespie would play pretty regularly as part of that because she'd be here and almost almost always uh well too much guitar with bill Kuhn and oliver gannon um bill bill coon's like the one person who i would i would uh give two gigs in one week you know like he's he's so great he's done so much for me and uh he's he's just so great plus plus he packs the place every time right so you can't go wrong with that But, uh, we'd always have that, but there'd always be like, like somebody from Toronto who's like trying to string together a Vancouver date or Montreal or some other place, you know, (laughs) Toronto or Montreal or somewhere else. And, uh, that, that would always be fun too. Um, I can't remember if they were jazz festival gigs, but we had Alison Al from, from Toronto a few times.
0: Yeah. I saw that one. Um,
1: Yeah. And she, she's so great and her band is so good. And, um, Fuck, we had uh, plenty of other people i i should have pulled out my 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 calendars of, of booking dates to they're probably not they're probably around here somewhere but well you um, had like a few times maybe over a few different years where like
0: simon and mike from montreal would come in like trumpet and sax and they would have a band with maybe eli or
1: millie or they'd have their own band that's right that's that's that was a cool connection too um i mean one of the things i should say right off bad about it was that like for me it was a great opportunity to play it was like i i don't know if if it wasn't for tangent cafe i would have had like four gigs in the last seven years you know like i uh and it, you know sometimes it was kind of like like a little bit like oh man like would i would anybody want to play with me if i wasn't doing this like so there was the struggle there sometimes but for the most part I was just like man I like I got to play so much music there with so many people um heroes of mine friends of mine people who were writing such cool music and so there were these like little little kind of groups um within that community because I think one of the things that was cool about Tangent if I do say so myself is um that we had musicians coming to play from from kind of all the different parts of the Vancouver jazz scene, I think. Maybe not all of them, but like, and on all different ages, like, you know, we had, I remember a few times, I think you might've been one of the people when I, when I tried this one time when I had like three cap students, three cap students, lead bands at Tangent. And I, th- maybe you were one, I know Megan was one and, um, there was one other one. But then I was like, I don't know. This is sort of like shitty. I think I d- maybe I didn't even pay you guys. And I was like, maybe I should just give these guys gigs instead.
0: <laughs> I don't be- remember that exactly, but I don't really... I don't think I've ever played as a band leader at The Tangent. I think I might have played there with Megan or somebody like that. But I don't think I ever have oh, by myself. maybe that's
1: what it was. Well, in any case... Whether or not you were part of that, it was... It was like uh it was an attempt to sort of get this community sort of like the student thing happening a bit more, but but then yeah, I don't know, at a certain point I was like, let's just give these guys gigs, they're coming and hanging out. They're like, you know, Thad Bailey Mai is here all the time. Which I mean that's a whole that's you know, that's a whole topic to discuss. Um, Thad the great Thad Bailey Mai um yeah who we've both performed with a whole ton of times and
0: lot, I, played yeah. on
1: every recording i've ever made so far that's awesome man you're lucky to have him yeah absolutely and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's lucky to have you too it's great um so yeah but we'd have like you know like really established people like steve Caldestad and cory weeds and jody prosnick and uh um like i said bill coon um uh john gross played there i mean i thought it was so cool to have have john play there a bunch of times i mean i could just list everybody in vancouver right but like like all these guys like brad turner plays has played there so many times and and you know brad that's a whole section to talk about too um but uh we had 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 so many kind of things that would come together. Um, but for me, one of the coolest parts was, was, um, Oh, you, you mentioned, you mentioned the, the Montreal guys. And, um, I thought that was, that was neat. Um, because there was this, I don't know. I don't know what the nature of this is, but like, I guess enough of these guys from Vancouver went out to McGill at the same time. Um, like like Dan Reynolds and Conrad Good and like Omar Mlani and James Meager and um, there's probably some others that I that I'm forgetting Kai Basanta and um and sort of ma- like like started bringing these dudes home with them sometimes I guess they made these bands and they do these tours I, I don't know. you know you should interview those guys at some point but um but yeah Mike Biella and uh, and Ted Crosby and Simon Millard are like the the three that 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 have ha, as far as I know have kind of come the most to to play with. Um, well, well, like Ted has has his band with James and Omar um, Braveheart. I don't know if you ever heard them, but that was a beautiful band, and they'd play with Cole Schmidt um, sometimes and Cole. You know, I don't know if you know Cole very well, but he's like another important jazz fixture in in sort of like organizing this stuff. He's done so much for the community in that way. But you look like you've got something to say.
0: Yeah, I, I I so wanted to jump in there, but I also didn't want to cut you off. But I mean, I have always thought personally, and maybe said to a couple friends that if you wanted a really Kind of reductionist kind of view from a bird's eye of of Vancouver Jazz over the 2010s or like over the last five years or so, I could say that like all almost all Vancouver Jazz has run through like one of three people: Corey Weeds, you, and Cole.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it's yeah. It's 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 not it's not far off in in a certain sense. Totally and i think i think like behind behind like there's so many people um i think like lisa miller has done so much with uh with her various um projects and and venues and and ensembles and stuff and um and i don't i don't know who's who's behind all of these different things but um but yeah in terms of i don't know like if we wanted to sort of talk about the the sort of straight ahead um, jazz world, a lot. Of, you know, like I, I. If it wasn't for certainly Corey Weeds, um, I don't know what experience I would have had with jazz. Getting into this music, I, I grew up so close to the cellar um, that I I could go there all the time um, when I when I was first getting into the music. Um, and then with Frankie's and everything that he's he's done there's just so much so much music that i i was exposed to that i got to see that um i wouldn't have have had the opportunity to otherwise and so you know cory i just think um you know a lot of people have something to say about Corey, but had uh, but i think he's if you know he's just done so much and um and yeah cole i mean cole one of the, th- the cool things that cole did Um, and this is kind of where I became friends with Cole was when he was doing the booking at El Barrio, um, which, um, and I might be totally, totally wrong about this, but it seemed to me like El Barrio existed, um, at a time when everything else kind of just went away. Like, I think, I think it was sort of around the time, like the cellar had closed, um, the Libra room hadn't closed, but the sort of. Uh, the this what was going on there seemed like it had changed a lot. I think maybe ten sixty seven had closed um, the original one. Um, I want
0: to jump in and out. and I want to dig in on this a little bit because I think this is super important. I've had my own conversation about El Barrio, which is was at a place that is now called Excite Bistro and Grill on East Hastings at Nanaimo and East Van. Um, I had a conversation with Jess about it, who used to book there at some point i'm mm. not sure if that was before or after Coal, but uh i have I think it was seen sort of, it in sort of in at those the years. end of cole okay yeah and i i performed there a couple times during that time for sure uh i also yeah went to the cellar a whole bunch and got exposed to a lot of things through that i have some really early really important gigs that left a big impact on me from a few years before that too and then the cellar what, closed what, what in 2014 oh gosh i mean
1: those gigs
0: You got to tell me about the first time you went too, but I'll tell you mine. Um, It was in the summer of 2010. uh, And it was Corey releasing his CD called The Many Deeds of Corey Weeds. Uh, And he had... uh, I guess he had Chris Gestrin playing organ. He had Chris Davis. Um, Don't remember who was on drums, unfortunately. Um, But I remember they played, I think, the first track of the album. And then the second tune... Was like, uh, it was called Corner Kisses, and it was like one of the tunes on the album. And it's like a really hard boppy blues head with like, yeah, and they just, it was like the highest energy jazz music I'd ever heard at that point, like with Chris Davis and with the organ. And it was just on Good. fire, and I, I love that performance. I went there because. Bob Rebliatti took us there from the Douglas college summer jazz program neat, and neat. I bought the CD there. And then I found out like that it's Joey De Francesco playing on the album. And then that was like a whole nother level Man. of head explosion. So yeah, that was good. the first time I ever went to the cellar and couldn't have been better. And so that was in 2010 and I went several more times while I still had the chance before it closed in 2014. But like, when did, when did you first, do you have an That's early awesome. memory at the cellar that really meant a lot or what, what, what on your side?
1: Yeah. I mean, like, it's cool. I I love that your, your impactful memory is, is like a local, local band too. Like, cause I, I mean, I, I, I certainly remember some, some bands that were like out of town things from there that were, that were really great. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was the local stuff. I mean, the first time I ever went to the cellar was to hear Bob Murphy play piano with, um, a drummer from man. Yeah. I remember this so clearly because it was the first time I'd ever heard jazz, like gone and seen people play jazz. At least the first time I was like doing it out of my own free will, you know? And, um, and it was this drummer from, and at the time my mom was taking piano lessons with Bob Murphy. And, um, and he, he was, it was this drummer, Sandra Dominelli, who's from, Edmonton, I believe, and a bass player, also from Edmonton, Mike Lent, and I, I got to admit that I, I haven't checked either of them out since. And this was probably 2000. I want to say five or six, and um, and. I I just remember like the reason why they're they're so like like I remember those names and I remember it so clearly is because it was the first time I'd ever seen them and I was just like just mesmerized it was it was the most cool thing I've ever seen and I've never I had never seen like a jazz drummer play like you know like a piano trio there's you know so many ways a piano trio can play but um but this was sort of like in that Keith Jarrett trio sort of school of of playing and to see a drummer play like that play so freely um and sort of so fluidly um was just fascinating i thought that was so cool and hearing a double bass player in real life i think that was probably the first time i'd ever heard that and it was so neat and uh and bob i don't know if you got the chance to hear him play much but Holy shit, man! I have a I have a
0: friend uh, Jenny Zhu who went to New York as well, um, who mm-hmm. studied with Bob and was definitely big influenced um, by him when she was growing up in Surrey and Metro Vancouver.
1: And she studied with him. That's that's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I, I I was I was super lucky because um, I mean this kind of goes back to my my history, but I am. Um, I played saxophone before I played guitar and, um, I wanted to play saxophone because, um, I don't know, like in elementary school, we had that, the, like the buddy thing where like, if you're in grade two or something, there was some kid in grade six or seven who would like hang out with you. And I don't know if you guys did that at your high school or elementary school, but. I went to this
0: really small elementary school with like 50 people. So we probably didn't have enough people. <laughs> <laughs> for
1: that, Yeah. yeah. That's funny. But so this was like, you know, this is part of the school. And, um, and I remember my, my older buddy, um, played alto saxophone. I can't remember anything about him. I can't remember his name. I can't remember what he looked like or anything except for that. He played saxophone. And I was like, if I want to do that, I'm going to do that. That's going to be cool. And so I like kind of, Begged my parents, and eventually they were like, "Yeah, okay, we'll get you saxophone. We'll get you saxophone lessons." And so I, I ended up doing that from about grade three or four all the way until I finished high school. And I, when I started getting into jazz, I I I, I don't know why I was like I wanted to play jazz guitar and not saxophone, um. I mean, it kind of doesn't really make any sense because I was probably checking out way more saxophone players than guitar players at that time. Um, but for whatever reason, guitar is what happened. and um, But I had this teacher, Marius Kwatkowski, who um, was a character, this Polish guy, um, who he would come to our lessons with like any breed instrument that he felt like that day and that would be like like weird oboes and bassoons and stuff like that or 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 saxophones um or flutes or whatever and he'd just bring whatever he felt like and we'd we'd end up playing playing uh stuff together and it was at the time it was like it was like a lot of sort of fundamental sort of saxophone method book stuff but he also started getting me playing um uh charlie parker solos And he, this was probably pretty wise. He never told me that we were learning jazz and he, I don't remember if he ever told me that these were Charlie Parker's solos until we had been doing it for a while, but he was mostly just sort of like, let's learn this music. Let's just play this stuff. This is, this is good stuff. You should learn this stuff. And I think it was kind of cool that it wasn't sort of like, we're learning jazz. It was just like, we're learning the saxophone and this is the material that we're going to use. But then I got super interested in it and I had this play along book. It was like a how Leonard, not, not quite, uh, like Jamie Abersold. It was like, like some kind of shittier version of Jamie Abersold. And, um, I just remember like that, would have these charts that they weren't exactly lead sheets, but, um, there would always be a section that would have like a written melody or over it, it would say ad lib. And I didn't want to read the melody. So I would just like ad lib. And I, nobody said, told me about the word improvisation or solo or anything like that. But, but it was fun. And I would just like put on these backing tracks and just like make shit up. And it was cool. And anyways, uh, Marius ended up introducing my mom to Bob because, uh, because she wanted to learn, jazz piano and so he put them them together and she took lessons with him for a really long time and and then when I was getting into jazz guitar um, before I met Bill Kuhn um, I started taking lessons with Bob and uh, just hanging out with him and he showed me a bunch of stuff and talked about jazz harmony and stuff like that and then he convinced uh, Bill Kuhn to take me on as a student and I remember I asked Bill for lessons, and he was like, "Sorry, I don't have time." And then, and then I told Bob, and I guess Bob called Bill and was like, "Bill, will you just do it?" Because, anyways, I got a call back from Bill later, and was like, "Actually, I talked to Bob, and uh, I will, I will give you some lessons." So, thanks, thanks to Bob for that, because that was really important. So then, important. was Bill your path to cap then? Yeah, yeah, sort of. um, Bill. I started taking lessons with Bill in when I was in grade twelve, I think, in high school, and um, or maybe grade eleven. But I I remember when I was thinking about going to jazz school. It was between um, I really, I honestly, I really wanted to go to the University of Toronto. Um, I wanted to be in Toronto. Um, there's so many you know, iconic jazz guitar players in Toronto. And I wanted to be around that iconic or just like, you know, contemporary masters. But, um, and I really wanted to study with this guitar player, David Acapinti, who was there. Not that I didn't really want to study with Bill. I mean, that was fantastic, but anyways, I didn't get accepted to Toronto. So I ended up going to, to, to cap and i had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about it because i was a little shithead so uh it took me about 14 years to get over that um <laughs> thank god i did <laughs> But uh, yeah yeah
0: i remember arriving at cap and the first two people on the campus who interacted with me were ihor and jared burroughs for the audition
1: Oh, how did that go?
0: Oh, it was fine. I mean, at that point, I felt like I was getting to know people because I had a couple of years runway where I was meeting these kind of people like in high school, right, right, etc. Right. So, I mean, it's the only place that I even though I only lasted one year at CAP, it was the only place that I applied to. So it was the only place I was right. considering.
1: Did you did you go to CAP right out of high school?
0: Yeah, I did. When I started, I was 17. <laughs> Not If I had to do it over again for like optimizing for succeeding at CAP, I would. 100 percent, not have done it that age i was way too young i had no idea how to how to make that work i would have waited like at least a year or two years
1: man me too i mean i i started straight out of high school and uh that should be illegal <laughs> they should say like applicants oh, okay okay must so be 25 years old
0: why like like obviously you and i both know this really well because we lived it but like for somebody who hasn't experienced this or like maybe they've done it in something non-music and it hit not the same but like why why is why is it so why is it like that
1: oh man that's a good question and it's hard to put into words but i i think um i mean i think part of it is is and i i was lucky because my my parents were not really like this but um i know that it's not uncommon to have have the sort of family value of you you go to university as, as soon as you can. Um, but I think that, that music school is not that I've been in any other university program, so I could be totally full of shit, but music school is weird, man. It's, it's so intense and it's so demanding. And when you're in music school, you're like, I think one of the things that people don't, people who are not in that world, um, not necessarily in music school, but just in music in general. Is that like it's, it? Feels to me like at certain points in your life, um, the the music experience is everything. It's like it's your school, but it's your social life, and it's your career, and it's your hobby, and it's it becomes like your romantic relationships, and it becomes it's your friendships. It's it's sort of sort of every, everything that you're doing is so deeply embedded into this music world and music school music musician identity that it becomes it becomes it can be a lot to handle it can be it can be um i don't know everything becomes so tied together and if you're a fragile person like me um, when when one of those things starts to deteriorate the whole thing kind of can come crashing down and i think it's just it's just so much like how do you keep on top of of all of that it would be like if you're going to school to well i don't know i mean i guess if you're going to school to do something else you're probably studying shit all the time too but like i don't know like you, did you did you ever get a break it's like like you you go home from school and then it's like you're going to relax and put on some music to listen to to relax like i just spent the whole day hating music because I had to do it for this course or that course or listen to the shit I didn't want to listen to or learn the shit or transcribe the solo. And now I'm like going home to what? Like just like plug my ears and relax that way. Like, I don't know. That doesn't really answer the question, but that's maybe a bit, a bit of my experience with it.
0: Okay. So here to, to well, go I to know the 10th. Know tent- oh, okay. <laughs> sure. 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 What do you want to, what you want to know what I think about why it didn't work?
1: yeah why why should why why should you not do it until you've got a little bit more uh, experience in the world oh okay yeah totally
0: i mean yeah i i feel most i feel like i have some insight at finally you know i didn't really for for years but now it's been enough years that i i finally kind of get it i guess um but for me it was not about like not having a break from music or about music consuming everything really because like I actually felt like I was um, I was playing less uh, at cap than I had been before because I just hit it so hard when I was uh, a young teenager. Um, and so that didn't startle me or anything really. Uh, and I did bring a lot of the same relationships into play. Like I showed up at cap with a lot of people who came from the same high school as me and we had already been playing jazz together for like three years or so. And then there's kind of the broader, now this is quite strong because now people really cut across schools and the, the best players when they're teenagers become friends with the other best players with air quotes uh, right away and they, they collaborate right away they don't wait even until a university to start collaborating like if you think of somebody like Ilhan Safarelli or whatever like people like that they just do that but for me it's like I was, I was so lucky because I had that at my own school um but then I come there and then the stuff that hits me hard is not like an increased musical load, but it's like an increased social environment, like exposure, social exposure, where I like I had to be friends in a different sort of way with people, like a different, kind of like a more more adult way or like more involved way where you're not just going to school and hanging out with a person, but like. You're hanging out around the campus with them. You're going and hanging out with them between classes or after classes or people are going to gigs or the parties are looking a little bit different. Different stuff is happening. And I was like so not ready for any of that. Mm. And so if I just had a year or two to keep, you know, if you could draw it up, I could like just keep taking lessons with somebody privately and like just get used to being in the community with people. And then show up at the university. It, it
1: could have been a lot different for me. That makes a lot of sense, and and I think I think that's that's a little bit sort of what I mean. I mean, I, I I don't necessarily mean that like being exposed to more music than I could handle was was a problem. I think what I mean is sort of the the relationships with the world that start to exist sort of during this experience of trying to engage with this thing I love really kind of, um, made, made certain parts of, of the music that I loved seem less appealing or less enjoyable because now they're kind of wrapped up with things like people's egos and, um, people's approval or disapproval and, uh, getting classes and like, or or failing classes, I should say. And, um, And just like, like, like responsibility, responsibility to, to get to the right place at the right time and do the thing in time and hand in the assignment on time. And, and one thing that I could not do and I still struggle with is, is, um, is, and I know this sounds sort of stupid, but like, like asking for help was practically impossible. And because I felt like if I was asking for help, I was potentially humiliating myself by saying, I don't understand this thing that everybody else seems to understand. And and I had this sort of ego about like, I, I'm, a, I don't know, like I was a strong player at CAP when I started. Um, and I sort of felt like, I didn't want people to know that I didn't know, I couldn't articulate how a dominant chord resolves to a, a five chord resolves to a one chord or I didn't know the right scale that goes with this weird chord I've never seen before. And I couldn't say it. I couldn't say it on the fly. I couldn't necessarily tell you what drummer was playing on some Keith Jarrett record from 1976 or something like that. Like I didn't have that shit together and i and it seemed so important because it seemed like like what you described was like if like i'd see all these people um who were i don't know like i remember when i was in grade 12 i i got invited to do this audition at this like i think it was called music fest do you remember that one it was like music fest canada the annual kind of confluence of all the high school band programs who go yeah exactly and so for whatever reason, I wasn't like, I I didn't even remember applying for it or anything. And I I was notified by my friend, um, saying, um, I like you, you were on this list of people who are invited to, to do this audition. And it was like six students who were invited to do a audition for like, I don't know, like 5,000 bucks or something like that. And, um, and I remember showing up, um, cause I, I, I had rehearsed the music. I think I was going to, I was ready to play oleo and which, I mean, I couldn't play rhythm changes and I still can barely play rhythm changes, but I was you know prepared to play oleo and maybe like St. Thomas or something like that. This is like Sonny Rollins. Well, so, here you are I'm on the rhythm, rhythm changes rhythm. podcast. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess I've grown up. Um, and but I just remember showing up, and like everybody else who was doing this audition, were these like child prodigy kids. Like, um, I don't know if you know like Eli Bennett or Adam Aruda, and like Adam Aruda, um, I think he's from Toronto. And now I see it, like he'll, he's in New York playing with like Kurt Rosenwinkel and shit like that. So at the time, like I remember showing up, and these kids were just you know, it was like going to the gym and everybody else is like this enormous fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger type. And I was just like a little toddler. And, um, and I just remember like, as soon as I saw this, I, I, you know, some of the people who were involved in this, um, who were like the same age as me, just like, were kind of mean to me about not being as together as they were. And, um, and, like I remember somebody asked me, like, what are you playing? And I was like, I'm playing Oleo, and they laughed at me. <laughs> and so I was just like, oh fuck, like I'm such a loser. Anyway, okay. so like I, I think I think when when I went um into into music school after that, I was like, oh shit, this this attitude exists uh everywhere in this in this music. Like not just among these, these child prodigy people, but but perfectly mediocre or like, I don't know, it's like we're all fucking 18, 19, 20. It's like, it's okay to suck. It's okay to not be a brilliant musician. Like, like some people have this whatever aptitude for learning this shit really fast. But like for most of us, it's not easy to get it together. And if you want to do it, that should be enough to just like make you do it. But I remember like, so many times just feeling so awful about how little I thought that I knew and, but I was just completely incapable of asking for help. And I remember, I remember in these classes that I was taking, like in my first year of CAP, I failed ear training, class piano, and, uh, theory. I can't remember what the class was called, like the first year harmony figured bass and stuff like that. And these are like the big, those are like the big three classes, right? Like these are like, you need to pass these classes to do anything else in the program. Pretty much. I failed all three. And the reason is because once I started doing poorly, I was so embarrassed that I, I just stopped going altogether. I didn't like. I didn't like ask ask anybody. I wasn't like, "Hey, uh, Mary Joe, can you help me?" or anybody else. I was just like, "Fuck it, I'm out of here." And I started skipping classes. And then things got worse and worse. And then I started feeling really miserable about that. So I had no ability to um, handle that situation at that time. Of course, like as we're talking about this, I'm like, "Yeah," but dozens of other people did. So like, it's not like. Every 18 or 19-year-old or 17-year-old in your case couldn't handle it, but but I couldn't. And so if I had started later, I think I would have had a way, way better chance of succeeding in in that program at that point.
0: Huh. So I basically did the same thing, but socially. I couldn't okay. handle it because I felt like I couldn't, Hang out with these people because they didn't like me for some reason, and because I didn't know how to interact with this community that was so tight. Uh, and that's why I I I did the same thing. I stopped going sometimes, and then eventually I just I just let that slide into zero. I just let it go to zero, and then at the top of the year in twenty fourteen, I wasn't renewing at that point anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. It was. I mean, and I I think like. I don't know. You know there, there there are there are people who obviously do it and succeed, and there's some people who do it in four years, which is remarkable to me. Shout out to Johnny Tobin. <laughs> Did he do it in four? Man, he's a cool example. I mean, I I I, I think uh, like he he seems to really have a lot together too. You know, like. He's a i met him
0: maybe 10 years ago when we were both in high school and uh yeah what yeah big big influence on me he's been through a lot of, of ups and downs too but he's really you know it's just these people i think i think this way about you too to be fair but like these people who just find their own sound and then they just live in that sound and then other people engage with their sound and it just sounds like them like he's done that and you've done that too and like i i hear your sound as like a big thing of part of the tangent even if you're not on the bandstand like <laughs> i hear you. that kind of music that you play just comes through there like if the montreal guys come in it's it, i hear the i hear how it sounds like you and you know thad is collaborating with you remotely now and like when you play with him and the last tangent show i went to before covid was on february 29th and it was thad and you were playing with i actually can't remember oh, if you were yeah, playing yeah. with him or not maybe it was just brad playing keys and it wasn't you were you playing with him
1: it was yeah it was uh, it was me and him it and, was you and I, I think was it Millie and eli
0: yes yes that's right and yeah. so yeah that's it's all to me it's like it's not just 100 percent you and your sound but it's like that's your that's your vibe like that you, well, you were part of something that.
1: totally i think i think uh um yeah it's funny i mean, it's funny as we talk about this, cause i i know that i know that you um i know you're you're trying to interview me so I shouldn't be asking about you but but uh go ahead go ahead we we talked we talked we messaged a little bit a while ago about about you kind of removing yourself from the the jazz scene um here for a bit and um and and you know you 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 told me a little bit about about why and it was you know I, I felt for you and uh, it, it was an unfortunate thing because I just I just thought you're such a such a strong player, such a beautiful player with so much personality in your playing already at like what was it, you said eighteen when we did that gig. And um and I don't know, I just you know, it was just that was so cool. But but it makes me think too of this thing like um I remember a few times in my life, um, where I sort of had the idea that I might, that I might stop playing, not stop, but, but like not, not really pursue it in the way that I thought I was going to. And at those moments, it, it always felt a little bit sort of, sort of tough. It felt like There's a sense of, oh, I like I'm abandoning this thing or, and then I talked to people about it, but like the, the most recent one was, was maybe three or four years ago when I started getting really obsessed with stop motion animation. And uh, I don't know if you saw any of that stuff that I had done, but, um, I got so obsessed with it and like, it's all I wanted to do for probably about a year and a half and it like i was i i was i was i was doing it but i was like watching it constantly and i probably watched nightmare before christmas like a thousand times and um all those types of videos and i was checking out all these other other animators this this is a whole like Czech, Czech school of uh animators um that were so interesting and i just got so obsessed with it and i, was, I thought it was so cool and i i remember thinking Like at that, at that moment I had been really depressed and the stop motion thing practically saved me. And it's not, you know, not all credit goes to stop motion, but, but at that point it was like, I was, I was like, I found this thing and I was just like, felt so much more engaged with that than I had, than I ever remember having felt with music and there was a period for, like, six months where I was like, maybe I should just pursue this. And I remember talking to uh, some people about it. And I was like, man, this this thing that I'm doing... And these were people who were, like, really supportive. Musician friends who were, like, really excited about the stuff that I was doing with the animation. It wasn't anything remarkable, but it was just, like, fun to watch. And people, people got a kick out of it. But I remember that people responding. I was, like, thinking, man, I might... I may just try and do this and put the music aside for now. And people were like, don't, don't do that. And I was like, but this makes me happy and music doesn't. And they were like, that would be so tragic if you would do that. And I'd be like, but I like this and I don't like that. And this just the sentiment of like, once you, once you decide, like when you're like, you know, 15, like I love music and I'm going to be a musician, then it's like, it's like, it, you're committed to this cult or something like that. Like, like, uh, I don't know. I mean, if, if, if people have career changes, people have changes in, in the ideas of what they want to do. People have hugely dramatic changes in their lives and stuff like that. But like, for whatever reason, this music thing, and I remember feeling so guilty, like I shouldn't even be thinking about this. I should just be practicing Charlie Parker licks I don't be like I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't even remember what I'm talking about. But like I don't know if Andre
0: ever ever said this to you, but Andre Lachance always used to say. I remember him say things like, "Oh, you know, music always just kept reeling me back in, no matter what." Or not to paraphrase him, like he would always say something like that. Like he would allude to the fact that, like, regardless of how many times or how often he would like fall out of it, maybe not even jazz, maybe just everything or or any particular mm -hmm. kind of music. There he would have his time away and then it would always pull him back in at some point.
1: Oh, and I think, I think that's, that's true for me as well. Um, seems like it might be true for you. Um, like, man, I should just, just, I know this isn't going to be videoed, but my brother built this guitar for me and, um, I just got it like two weeks ago and it's just like, so beautiful. He, he, he's he been making guitars for like, I don't know, a year maximum. And I've never played a guitar that's this good. And since I got it, like I said, it's only been about two weeks. I've just wanted to play guitar all the time. I just want to sit down and play. I look at it and I'm like, fucking... Let me play you. That's so funny.
0: I know I listened to my friend Justice, who has a podcast called The J-Pod, where he interviews Vancouver musicians. He was talking to Jasper Sloan Yip, indie musician around here. And Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, Jasper was talking about how like the most important thing for him in terms of musical inspiration, to paraphrase him on that show, was like it wasn't about what records he was listening to or what shows he had been to or anything he had been exposed to or, or whatever it was about instruments it was like whenever he got a new instrument and just the physical sensation of that new thing was like what inspired him the most and so like it was always really important to him to have his favorite instruments like close by and to get to get a new instrument that's almost like you write a new album when you get that instrument he was saying
1: that's cool i, I mean and and i think it's it's interesting because I, I i've never really been a gear guy at all me neither no I mean no
0: I've had one bass guitar for my whole life and I've had one upright bass for my whole life which I've actually resold and and repurchased but it's the same one crazy (laughs) my uh my close friend in Vancouver Jazz, Madeline Elkins, who I grew up with in New West, actually sold the bass to uh, her family so that her younger brother could use it while he was still a high school student. And Crazy. then when I found out that his his time doing that had passed, I I bought it back.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. I love that story. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's funny. I think I don't know if Maddie is a, uh, I I think I get, I get the impression that her and her her partner uh, Chad or both kind of pretty gear oriented and enjoy enjoy that kind of stuff
0: they're it's more knowledgeable for sure yeah like th- especially chad like i've he's often been the guy i go to to ask for base help of any variety like there's there's brad pearson who i've taken my base to yeah. for for actual work and then Chad has, has taught me how to do different things by myself and explained a bunch of things to me from scratch that I didn't care about at all because I was so not a gear person.
1: Oh, totally. And that's the funny thing. And like, I, I'm sure like you must know, like so many people in this in this world are gear people and so many people just expect that you're going to be and like man the way that people talk to me about this shit and i'm just like i have no idea what you're saying i mean some people get so technical about like capacitors and amps and stuff like that and i'm like i have no interest in this but but i think like with this instrument um like i had i had my my guitar which is a hofner very thin classic that i had been playing for 10 years maybe a little bit more no i think it was exactly 10 years before i built a guitar this summer and played that for maybe six months before my brother sent me this guitar that he built and um if it wasn't for 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 that i mean i'd probably still be playing the hofner for the rest of my life i'd but anyways like like playing this new guitar is, is super inspiring and um what was i saying i was talking we were talking about um about the idea of of it being like a tragedy a tragedy if you stop or just like the the concept of falling out of it for whatever reason totally and and i think i don't know it's funny like i i am now i'm at a stage in my life where i'm i mean i've been very lucky to be able to do a lot of really good therapy and um and I'm at a stage in my life, I think, where, like, I don't, I don't really, uh, I don't even really think about it anymore. I just, like, I, I play guitar. I play jazz guitar. I don't really play any other kind of guitar. And, um, and that's what I do. And I love doing it, but I also love doing other things. And I don't know. I remember I used to think about, like, what would, like, my identity was so wrapped up in being this jazz guitar player, um not just being a jazz guitar player, but like being a depressed person. I like embraced being depressed is like that. That's my personality. And, and it sort of gives me, like entitles me to being shitty to other people being dismissive, um, just being unapproachable. But, um, but now I don't know. It's just like, I, I like doing fun things that are different and interesting and exploring things and, and perhaps not exploring things for very long. Cause I used to feel like, man, if I've started this new hobby, it would be like like I'd start. I'd feel guilty. I'd feel guilty. Like if I if I wasn't doing it like I like I would with guitar. Because sometimes with guitar, it feels like man, this is this hobby that I took way too far. And like practicing, like like I don't know, every day for hours every day. I'm like, but if I start like like I started over the course of this pandemic, I started skateboarding. And I sort of huh. had this feeling, like, like man, I should be practicing skateboarding like I practice guitar, like, but I'm not trying to be a professional skate. I'm just trying to have fun. So, I, but I, just, you know, I, am I'm, I'm way better at it now. But sometimes I, I almost like get this little, little glimpse into this feeling of guilt, like, oh, I haven't practiced skateboarding today. Like, who, fucking cares? <laughs> 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 like sometimes it's the same with guitar. I remember Dave, I think it was Dave Liebman. Um, that was definitely Dave Liebman. But I think what he said was like, as a professional musician, you hear about, about this, this like, um, this obsessive practicing where like, if you're not practicing like eight, 10, 12 hours a day, you're not going anywhere. And, and he said that in his, what what he believes is that, Most really high level accomplished professional jazz improviser people probably have spent a few periods in their life where they practice in a way that resembles that, that. which might be for a year, it might be for six months, it might be for two or three years. But what he says is like, it's not like like he's been practicing eight hours a day for the last 55 years or something like that. You know, it's like he has a life. He has these other things to do, and I thought that was really cool because I think it's true. I think if you really, really want to become skilled at, at doing anything at a high level, you obviously have to spend a lot of time doing it, right? Like, I don't know. It's not like it's not like you have to, but like if you if you want to, you will, right? And uh, and I think that's the important part. It's like the sense of like if you really want to do it, you'll do it. You'll find a way to do it. But if you don't. We can get so fucking dark about it. Be like, oh, why don't I want to do this? It's like, well, because sometimes it sucks and it's boring and you want to go have fun and do something new and interesting. And like, I don't need to hear another C major scale today. And I certainly don't need to hear it coming from me. So like, man, anyways, I will answer tangent a while ago. I will answer what you
0: said originally where you were wondering like what happened when I fell out of it or whether or not I did because it does kind of hit on some of those themes so like i dropped out at the end of 2013 so 2014 i'm i'm solo i'm on my own i start working for north shore Celtic ensemble at that time so that's kind of my lifeline that's like my community there i guess my first jo- my first job in music my first anchor job kind of thing um but after i uh after i dropped out um some people uh, multiple friends mutual friends who were in fourth year at the time uh, they just didn't have any bass players um, so they would actually pay me to come and play in their ensemble classes which I happily did uh, I don't think any of the money ever made it further than Seymour's pub right <laughs> but, but uh, like uh, for me on the way out but I did and I I came and uh I came and played in their ensembles and so I actually think the Liebman thing when he came to Cap, I think that happened at that time. Um, So Mm. I do remember seeing him, but what it really led to was Bill Frizzell. So Bill Frizzell comes to Cap in the fall of 2014 and I'm in an ensemble class. I actually get to play one of his tunes for him and meet him uh, and and then he did the feature show that evening where it was him and Brad. And it was like, at that time it was like my two biggest influences of all time playing together. And so it was just like like that just inspired me. Yeah, it just inspired me so much that I wrote the tunes that were on my album after that and you know I had one recording session, but then I I kinda butted up against it because I was I was just trying to do everything I could at that point and I was in concurrence with being in these people's ensemble classes as a guest. that they graciously welcomed you know i also tried to do as much of that stuff as i could like go to the bill frizzell thing and like i guess i went to too many things and so the people who were in charge kind of had to tell me like hey don't don't come to any more of these things unless you're gonna enroll again (laughs) and so (laughs) at that point i was like okay fuck this i'm going to europe you know on my own uh which i did and then you know that didn't you know that was that was really interesting and i'll never get the chance to do a solo trip like that again and that's when i really fell out of it at that point i just totally mm-hmm. forgot about all the jazz stuff that i had been doing um and then i came back and early the following year i got a huge break when i met um a guy named gabrielle dubroy who i started a band with early spirit oh, and that yeah, was like my main band player. for like th- three four five years and uh i also met anna who is my future spouse like those things both happened in early 2016 and so that really was like okay now i'm doing something and it took me a while but then i got back into the community on the legs of that and eventually i i even revisited that old music that i recorded and i released it as an album last year finally
1: right 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 yeah that's cool i mean and I mean, like that's that's really interesting because I think you like you, you definitely um, sounds like you kind of gave it a bit of a chance, whether you know intentionally or not, to uh, to sort of to leave to leave the music to leave if 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 it needed to, and it still came back, and it sounds like a much more positive way yeah i mean like that's the those are kind of the missing
0: years like that i could have used back then when i was trying to learn like when i was showing up in the university scene and stuff like that but to to bring it all full circle because like i i could keep doing this for hours but like, <laughs> like we've gone deep on this one it's been it's been pretty cool but we've been here a little bit so I'll, I'll wrap i'll move to wrap over the next little bit here but like to bring it all back into the tangent cafe it's like the thing that made it so special to me and why i would go out of my way to say that that's like the seminal place is because all these a lot of these challenges that we were talking about about the the negative things that we were feeling regarding what it was like to try and learn this music and fit into this way of learning and education and stuff and like trying to come to terms with it all like the tangent was like the main place where like when I went there it really felt like all that stuff just evaporated when I walked in that door and like when I was there it it was not important at all any of that shit and it was like and, and shouldn't be but like that was one of the first places cuz it started up and you and Andrew started doing it right when I was like 19 it was like the first place where I could walk in and see the people in my community they're the same people but it's a different environment and it feels like that shit doesn't matter like it shouldn't. And then there's there's a place... Then you can actually just hang out with them and have a good time and enjoy it maybe the way that it should be enjoyed. So that's why it was so meaningful
1: to me. Well, uh, man, I'm glad that you felt that way about it. Um, I did too. I mean, for me, it was like... It was way more than just like a, a jazz outlet. I mean... I, I became really good friends with most of the people who worked there. Um, I, um, I spent, I spent a lot of time there, a lot of time there when there wasn't music, but yeah, a lot of those people who worked there became, became important friends. Um, the music for me was like, like I, I got to play, um, I I w- one of the things that I did for myself was I set up this this like once a month pro- mostly the first time of every month I would play trio with Joe Poole as much as possible because Joe um and uh, what can I say about Joe Poole that like amazing brilliant musician and human but um uh, and for, for, uh, at first it was with Eli DiVitovici and, um, and I love playing with Eli and we played a lot. And then, and then when Conrad Good moved back here from Montreal, uh, I started playing trio with Conrad cause I've been playing with Conrad since we were both in, in high school. Um, or at least I was in high school and maybe he was in first year at UBC or something. But, uh, in any case, um, yeah, having the opportunity to play, trio with those guys uh and just to play with Joe as much as I did was so so great. And and we I, I wrote a lot of music that we would play and um and there were you know various subs that would come in. I mean um got to play with a lot of different bass players and drummers playing my music or playing standards or whatever. But then the other bands like like Thad Bailey Mai's band that um emerged from Tangent um, and Megan Gillespie's band, um, which I mean, Megan's doing so many different things now, but um, but we play it a lot. But Thad's band, man, holy shit! Like, like getting to play Thad's music with him so regularly, like that's that's probably like the one band that I'm a part of that like has just been a band for f- maybe five or six years now, and um, and there's been a few people, but mostly it's been it's been eli davidovici on bass and we had miles wong was playing drums and we had joe pool play drums and bernie played drum bernie Rye, and and mostly millie hong playing drums and um and that i mean like playing i learned so much about playing guitar from playing thad's music and um and we're actually i'm making a new record in like three weeks um yeah Three weeks, holy shit, when Thad, Thad's gonna play trumpet on that, so I'm really glad to have him play some of my music that's gonna be really cool um so yeah, but like having this space um at Tangent was great, I mean I met, um, Alini Vieira, who is my my partner for, um a uh, year, a little bit over a year and even though we're not together now she's still like super important person in my life and you know she just happened to come to Tangent one day and um which was you know fucking awesome but uh and then and then um other other people that were like like not musicians who would come and hang out down there and the fans were such an important part of it I mean like you you know like Vincent Lim and uh British guy Rob I can't I don't know his last name uh um other folks who would come in and out. Um, it was, it was so cool. It was so cool. To, and, and, and like all the young people coming, like seeing you hang out there, seeing um, like Ben Frost, um, Parker and Miles, Parker Woods, Miles Wong. Um, oh, I mean, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Natasha D'Agostino um, coming and, um, and singing there. Cause she was like the best singer on the planet. Um, and her music was just so fucking awesome, but hanging out there being a part of that scene and like being there so much, she was probably there more than anybody because she just loved being a part of this scene and this music so much. You'd see her like, like come and bring like some band would be playing and she'd be sitting doing her, uh, like counterpoint homework while she listened. Um, but like hanging out with her and Chris Fraser, there. Uh and Andre Lachance. I mean Andre spent so much time there. We'd hang out at at the bar, sit, shoot the shit. And everybody I remember like Tony Wilson would come and play and like every guitar player, Alvaro and Tom Wareid and Dave Sakula and Cole Schmidt, like everybody would come and hear Tony. So that was always fun. Um at a certain point we added the well the Wednesday night things were happening but um there was this kind of like somebody was booking them and then this guy tyler Boissano was was doing the booking on wednesday and um uh, unfortunately tyler left um in pretty weird circumstances but um then i started booking the wednesdays and i got to meet these these bands who were playing this music that i didn't i didn't know anything about um like Bluegrass. My favorite band probably from maybe even of all the bands at Tangent was the uh the Lonesome Town Painters. Yeah. You ever hear them? I've heard them at a few folk festivals, yeah. Man, they were awesome. They were super cool. But it was it was great, man, and just like seeing all this music happen all the time. Like I used to go there and get fucking wasted and then like fall asleep in my car and drive home the next morning which was a pretty dark period of my life <laughs> what's
0: the fat tug count all time how many, is it three digits <laughs>
1: <laughs> i had man those ones like I, I don't know if i could have more than one fat tug without feeling pretty horrible but no that's not true i used to put those down i uh you know cuz i had i had my man I hope Nate and Linda don't listen to this but like I uh I had my my situation with them was that like I mean the drink situation was that I would get I would get two complimentary drinks for what whatever night I was there um and I would also get two complimentary drinks to bring a guest. So hold on is every night you were there this is just any
0: night you came down that you booked Sorry, or when you were a performer? I, I,
1: Any, any night that I was booking. So, so Sundays, Thursdays, and Wednesdays. So you didn't have to be in the band? No, no. Okay. Um, so I, yeah, I would get, I would get two drinks. I would get, uh, to bring a plus one and they would get two drinks. And then if I was playing, I would, you know, I would get two drinks for that as well. So like, and then there's often there's people in the band who like don't have all their drinks. And so, um, yeah like i said if if nate and linda are, are listening to this podcast uh, i hope they're plugging their ears for this part but um but there was some there was some fudging in terms of like basically if, if if i was if i was going by myself i would always go by myself and you know there's there's a there's a part of me that thinks that maybe i was like teetering on the edge of alcoholism at this point in my life because like people would say like hey do you want to go to tangent and I'd be thinking like, "Well, yeah, I'm going, but I'm not bringing a guest because I want those four drinks, you know, I'm going for those four drinks, and so like if I was playing if I was playing there i'd like I would never get like drunk for a gig, but like afterwards there was a there was a time at tangent where we'd stay super late, like three four in the morning with like me and the people who were working there, and just like fucking get." drunk. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I like, that was, that was a, that was a thing too. But there was also, you know, there was a, a, a brighter and healthier point in my life where it was just fun to be able to go and, and, uh, and have a drink and bring a friend and invite somebody and offer somebody who happened to be there a beer, give Andre a beer, give whoever um, a beer. And, and like I said, like, I, you know, I'd go with Alini and it was nice to just be able to not have to worry about it. Um, so, you know, they were so, they're such beautiful people, Nate and Linda and that place. I think one of the things that really, really worked with that place was the staff and like the front of house staff. I didn't really get to know the kitchen people too well, except for Christina and, uh, and Benita and, um, they were cool. Um, sisters, um, But the front of house, like, like, uh, I hope I'm not forgetting any people's names, but, um, at least, at least the last time, right before it ended, like there was Jess Sharp and, uh, and Melanie Vermeer and, um, oh who else, uh, Cassia, I mean, uh, I could just fucking list all these names, but I now I'm starting to forget the names and I'm gonna embarrass myself. So just, just edit out the last fifteen seconds before <laughs> I even try and attempt to name anybody who worked there. Um But it's such such a great like that was one of the things that made it so cool was like there there are plenty of music venues that come and go where you go to play the gig and you feel like nobody's anticipate like nobody who's working there is anticipating your arrival so you show up and it's almost like you catch them off guard and they're like uh what are you doing here they don't say that but you, they give you that impression and you're kind of like uh i don't know if i if i'm supposed to be playing and then they're like completely uh i don't know this isn't always true obviously but lots of places where they're, they're, they're not very helpful or accommodating and even even if, if they, they don't have to be Um, it's nice when you go to a place and, and you're going to go to play and they're happy that you're there to do it. And they're excited to see you and they know your name. And, uh, and I feel like tangent was really that place. It's not certainly not the only place in town, but, but tangent had that feel where the people there, the people who work there, they knew the names of the musicians. They knew the names of the, the regular patrons. They knew what was going on. Some of them even liked listening to jazz. Some of them didn't like listening to jazz, and they let me know all the time. But uh, but that makes it that sort of makes it so so smooth, right? It uh, it just makes it more fun and more welcoming, and 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 cool.
0: Yeah. Well, there you go. You're wrapping up, wrapping up the tangent uh, experience. Uh, yeah. It was a great time and uh it definitely uh deserved some some love here so thanks for taking the time to do that with me this has been this has been so much fun.
1: My oh, man thanks for taking the time to want to talk about it. I mean I I I, I had a bit of a, a hard time at first with with it sort of ending sort of with with so little fanfare so unceremoniously but I'm glad I'm just glad to know that it had an impact on on people people like you. So thank yeah, you. Dude. Thanks for having me and talking to me. If
0: you like this podcast, subscribe to get more from wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really like this kind of thing, visit rhythmchanges.ca to check out our music journalism serving Metro Vancouver, BC. To support us directly, visit patreon.com slash or click the Support Us button from the homepage. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on the Rhythm Changes podcast. Rhythm Changes is a Chernoff Music production.